0: Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, you got to listen in every Tuesday to stay up to date on the most recent medication therapy topics. Game Changers creates awareness about pharmacotherapy and clinical practice changes that can significantly impact pharmacy practice. Every Tuesday, a new episode of Game Changers is published on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. And always remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare. Welcome again to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host Jeff Wall, uh, professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University, and uh, I'm very happy that you're able to join us for another uh, quick uh, hit of, of of information that I hope will, will impact your practice, and it's also maybe even entertaining too, and also uh, very helpful to getting your CE, um, which as always we talk about every week because uh, as always we are sponsored by CE Impact, and uh, I uh, if you're interested in getting CE for this or if really a lot of other uh, great, great topics, please head over to CEimpact.com, where they have uh, uh, tremendous uh, 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 CE um, uh, pr- programs for you, including this. If you sign up for our program, um, all you have to do is listen to me, get on the website after after you listen to the podcast, and uh, uh, fill out the, the quick paperwork, and boom, you get some CE super-duper easy. And I, I really can't think of, of, of an easier way to get CE, and hopefully uh, you will agree, something that's that, that's also pretty interesting and pretty impactful to your practice. Um, also, if you like us, please do go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and, 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 and hit the like button and spread the word. Let more and more people know about this and, and hopefully we'll get more and more people listening to, to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. So uh, we're going to we're gonna keep the roll going with no COVID stuff and talk about actually, well, we might talk a little bit about COVID because we're going to talk about colchicine. And uh, uh, colchicine is a drug, as we know, it's probably one of the oldest drugs in the pharmacopoeia. There's actually reports of it being used uh, in, in uh, uh Ancient Greece and in ancient Egypt, so it's 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 a, a drug that's that's probably the oldest or one of the oldest continuous still used drugs in 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 operation today, and uh, of course it's been used for thousands of years for gout, but as a potent anti-inflammatory, people are looking at its use in, in various and other things, and certainly in the last 20 years, we've known that colchicine has some anti-inflammatory properties in the in the myocardium, and and oh, it's now probably one of the standard drugs used for pericarditis, and it, I've seen it work very well for pericarditis. Um, of course, it's used for gout, as we've said. I don't want to leave out COVID-19 because, yes, as because it's an anti-inflammatory, there is at least one uh, phase three uh, clinical study going on as we speak, looking at colchicine in hospitalized patients for, for uh, um, uh, COVID to see if it blocks the cytokine storm. But we're not going to talk about any of that. Well, today, we are going to talk about colchicine and coronary disease. And so we know and have lo- known for, for many years now that, that in Inflammation plays a key role in, in coronary disease and, and actually is directly uh, correlated with uh, uh, both bad outcomes as far as you know, repeat MIs and the need for, for PCI, the need for cabbage, as well as, as cardiovascular death. And that data is actually now more than 10 years old, and, and it comes clean back from the Jupiter studies and the, and the A to Z studies that took a look at, at C-reactive protein as a marker of, of, of inflammation and its relationship to outcomes. in in coronary disease, and of course, we know that statin's ability to to, to dramatically improve outcomes of coronary disease has at least as much to do with its uh, anti-inflammatory effects as it does with its its lipid-lowering effects. So it stands to reason that somebody somewhere said, hey, colchicine is, you know, relatively inexpensive. It's kind of gone up and down in price, as we know. Um, seems to be relatively well-tolerated. You know, Would it have a role as well? Because we know it has potent anti-inflammatory effects in the myocardium from our from our experience with pericarditis. And so, that's led to several studies now that have looked at colchicine in coronary disease. The one I'm going to talk about today, I think, is probably the best study that's, that's come out to date that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine at the end of August this year called the LIDOKU-2 study, um, or colchicine in patients with, with with coronary disease, so we're going to spend a little time talking about this paper because I think it's important to go through. Um, but I, I do want to wrap up talking a little bit also about you know, so I I, I almost can bet that if the if the American College of Cardiology guidelines for uh, STEMI and non-STEMI start recommending colchicine in these patients, um, we as pharmacists are going to see a dramatic increase in the number of patients who are on colchicine, and that is you know I, again if it has a benefit, definitely a good thing. But colchicine, I can tell you from 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 my own clinical experience is certainly not a completely benign medication and and so I think pharmacists need to be aware of what we're looking for as far as drug interactions and adverse effects so we're kind of wrap up talking about that but first the Ladoku 2 study uh, which was again a, an interesting study done um, and I think trying to follow up on other studies that had shown that that colchicine, you know did have anti-inflammatory effects did seem to decrease uh, high, high sensitive high sensitivity CRP and other retrospective studies that had suggested there was some benefit here but this was a randomized uh, double-blind study where they basically looked at patients uh, with chronic coronary disease and, and gave them either colchicine or placebo. So, we'll kind of talk about the studies as we go along here. Uh, it was a study done um, in, in Australia, so you know I don't think that there's a big threat to external validity there. I think Australian patients would, would largely be like the patients I tend to see, and it went from 2014 to 2016. Uh, it, about halfway through the study, uh, they did pick up some Dutch patients, and so uh, I think it was uh, they included 30 centers in the... The Netherlands as well so basically you know mostly Western Western Europe and in Australia but again I think I think very similar patients to ones that, that we would see um, and what they did was they looked at patients age 35 to 82 who had any evidence of coronary disease on invasive coronary angiography or if they had a calcium score so if they had a positive calcium score that that, that showed that they had a, a, a coronary a coronary burden coronary artery plaque burden or if they on angiography were found to have and in the vast majority of these patients, Actually, did get angiography. They were required to be stable for six months before enrollment, and they were not eligible in the study. And this is key: if they had moderate to severe renal insufficiency, so really anyone who had creatinine clearance is less than forty-five ml a minute. And so that, that that's going to be something again as pharmacists, we're going to need to watch out for patients who had severe heart failure, severe valvular heart disease, or anyone who just not tolerated colchicine well. Um, and and um, so again, not not tremendously bad uh, exclusion criteria that limited people, but I think the, the key one there is that we are going to have to take a, take a close look at this in patients with known moderate to severe renal impairment. They did do a one-month run-in, which isn't all that unusual for these kind of studies. Uh, statin studies always do run-ins to make sure people are actually being adherent to it, and then they randomized patients to receive uh, 0.5 milligrams of colchicine, so really about the lowest dose of colchicine you could get You know, that's, that's commercially available without having to split a tablet or something uh, or placebo. And, and, and they were matched placebo and all that sort of stuff. Now you could argue, you know, given culture scenes, propensity to cause nausea and stuff like that, you know, how well was blinding matched in this? And I think that, that that that's a that's a fair criticism of the study. But at these very low doses and looking at the adverse effects uh, reports that they had, it didn't seem like nausea was something that that was you know dramatically higher in the colchicine arm compared to the placebo arm. So you know I, I, I totally agree. And I've I've read that that's a possible criticism of the study. And, and I get that. But I don't think based on on what the re- results of the study shows if that that was really that big of an issue. I think with, with this study as well. So they did uh, uh, clinical evaluations before the run in and then. It's Six-month intervals until the completion of the trial, and these were all in-person ones, so they're able able to get you know labs and all that other stuff. Uh, the primary endpoint, like all cardiovascular studies, and and I mean this is this is pretty much the standard now in all cardiovascular studies, is, is to is to uh, decrease the number of patients in the trial. We 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 pile endpoints on top of each other so we don't have to have as many patients. So that's known, of course, as major adverse cardiac events or MACE. So the MACE in this study was cardiovascular death, spontaneous. Uh, uh, cardio infarction, stroke, or ischemia-driven coronary vascularization. So basically, if you went back to the cath lab, had a stroke, an MI, or had cardiovascular death, that was considered the MACE. The secondary endpoints, which again is now pretty common in most cardiovascular studies, where they took each of the individual endpoints and then tested them in a hierarchical fashion. So basically, they would look at cardiovascular death, because that's probably the most important one, if that was uh, found to have a, a significant difference, and they went down and looked at all the other individual uh, outcomes that we've just kind of talked about here. Um, they looked at a, a wide variety of other you know, secondary outpoints, but that we won't have time to go through at this point. But really, that's the the big one we want to look at. Uh, this was a, a an event-driven study, again, pretty common now in cardiovascular studies. So they don't look at numbers. They look at events. And so, uh, they looked at, uh, to have to have a minimum follow-up of one year and have at least 331 events in the study that occurred. And then they figured that their power based on that would be about 6,000 patients. And uh, they were actually very, very close to that. And that was that was they wanted to detect a 30% lower rate of the, of the MACE primary composite endpoint in this study. Statistics seemed reasonable. Um, I didn't see anything that was very you know uh, crazy or they you know didn't use any weird tests I'd never heard of before or something like that. So again, I'm not a statistician by any means, but but it, it, it all seemed reasonable to me as well. Uh, they ended up uh, randomizing about 5,200 patients um, who uh, had really uh, received at least one dose of colchicine in in the placebo uh, or, or placebo. And taking a look at the at the baseline characteristics again, looking at threats to, to external validity, these seemed like patients that I would see in my practice. The average age was 65. Uh, only about 17% of people were female. So again, that's 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 something to think about. But again, not unusual in cardiovascular studies. Uh, about 12% were current smokers. Half of the patients had hypertension. About 20% of patients had diabetes. Uh, most of these patients had completely normal renal function because that was an exclusion criteria. Here are some key. Uh, uh, pieces to, to kind of keep in mind we were thinking about patients who might be candidates for colchicine 84 uh, percent of them had a history of a prior acute coronary syndrome so these were not low-risk patients these were patients who had already had and had an mi um, and, and and had a, that was kind of where they, we known that they were going to have that um, about 76 percent of them in, uh, in both arms also had had a a, a coronary intervention uh, in the cath lab before so again you know these were not patients who just had a positive calcium score and were going to slap on colchicine uh, these were patients, the vast majority of whom already had a, 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 a acute coronary syndrome history, as well as evidence on, on, uh, on PCI that they, they did, in fact, have uh, coronary disease. And about 8% of patients had gout. I suppose you could argue <laughs> that we could, you know treat tubers of one stone for those patients, right? Um, as far as other medications they were on, about 60% were on single antiplatelet therapy, about 20% on dual antiplatelet therapy, uh, 93% of patients were on statin. So that was very good to see that the vast, vast majority of these patients were on statins, about 60 percent of patients were on beta blockers, and about 70 percent of patients were on ACE inhibitors. And again, those were those numbers were similar between groups, so there wasn't anything really unusual or anything along those lines. So when we get to the, the endpoint, the primary uh, endpoint actually was lower, uh, statistically significantly lower in the colchicine group uh, compared to the placebo group. So when you take a look at that maCE or that primary outcome, there was about 6.8 percent of patients in the colchicine group who uh, had an event compared Compared to 9.6% of patients in the placebo arm that did reach statistical significance um, and uh, was consistent in, in several analyses, they did uh, when they took out the uh, the need for revascularization. So just look at looked at cardiovascular death, MI or stroke that occurred in 4.2% of colchicine patients compared to 5.7% of placebo patients, and that also was statistically significant. So in this primary outcome, they did find a statistically significant difference between uh, the the uh, or lowering of, of risk between the the colchicine arm and the placebo arm, and then again taking a look at the at the individual uh, outcomes, it seemed all of the outcomes were 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 largely uh, uh, statistically significantly lower with uh, colchicine compared to placebo, um, and so that that's good to know. Um, um, uh, and this it, this was if they also did kind of a, a, a post hoc analysis, taking a look at you know different uh, patient groups their ages did they have diabetes or not did they have hypertension or not stuff like that those are always difficult things to look at because of course you know you, you have such small numbers sometimes in individual groups you're, you might not have the power to show a difference between groups so for example if they just took out the the patients who who had diabetes that was only 20% of patients in the study you know it, if they didn't find a difference in the diabetic patients is that because they're you know it doesn't really help diabetic patients or is it because you just didn't have enough patients in the study to, to, to show something so when you see a, a, a positive Outcome across the board. You know, it's not that I ignore the the, the those postdoc analyses that they take a look at, at individual f- uh, patient factors, but you do want to take them with with a grain of salt. Adverse effects. Um, uh, they did find that that myopathy or myalgias was more 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 uh, common in the uh, uh, um, uh, colchicine group compared to the placebo group. Um, it it didn't. It wasn't a gigantic jump. Um, in fact, it was only point point seven versus point 0.5, So so it, uh, it, when they took a look at at uh, uh, neutropenia or neutropenia and, and myotoxic effects, they were they were both uncommon. But those are side effects we're going to talk about in just a bit. But it was uh, the uh, if you look at total numbers, uh, especially in the Netherlands, myalgia was reported in 21.2% of the colchicine patients compared to 18.5% of the placebo arm. They didn't go into, into much detail about frank uh, or fulminant uh, rhabdomyolysis. I that my guess, looking at the data, looks like it was it was very very rare and it may not have even occurred at all. So. Um, um, they also looked at had gout and guess what gout was was less common in the uh, in the colchicine group compared to placebo. So I suppose that, that that that's a double double win for those patients who might have gout compared to uh, to uh, those who do not. Um, they again did a whole bunch of, of of subgroup analyses that that largely were were beneficial. So they discussed in, in their discussion that 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 it seems that that a fairly low dose of colchicine uh, was successful at at decreasing uh, uh, cardiovascular death. Uh, spontaneous MI, stroke, or the need for revascularization, and that ended up being a 31% relative risk reduction. So that's that's you know about what you would expect to see from from uh, even things like statins, or are in that kind of ballpark range. Maybe more with statins, but certainly a, a I think a clinically and statistically significant benefit there. They also found that individually that that it was beneficial in all the individual uh, uh, outcomes, and it seemed that patients tolerated it fairly fairly well. So my guess would be that that this uh, study will be uh, the 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 final piece of evidence that the people who write guidelines are, uh, will look at. And, and my guess would be when the guidelines for both uh, STEMI and, and non-STEMI are updated by the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association, and they're done every two or three years, uh, my guess is that they will probably recommend uh, colchicine in high-risk patients who kind of fit the, the trial profile here. So patients who don't have renal insufficiency, uh, patients who are already taking statins and on therapy. And have and have had you know uh, a, a previous coronary event, so definitely for secondary prevention compared to primary prevention. So it was a fairly well done study, and, and again, I didn't see a whole lot in the trial that that made me go, "Well, that's unusual" or "That's strange." I mean, you know, this this these were patients that are like my patients. Uh, the the benefit was clinically and statistically significant. I didn't see any anything unusual as far as the outcomes or the stats, and certainly it's in line with other cardiovascular studies. Uh, and they did report on adverse effects and things along those lines. So I, I I will be surprised if 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 colchicine isn't added to that armamentarium that's kind of all in our heads and patients who had an MI, you know, we send, say, okay, you've had an MI, you need to be on, you know, some sort of antiplatelet agent, you know, whether it's single or dual antiplatelet agents you need to be on a beta blocker for at least two years. And, you know, we used to say lifetime, but there's some evidence now suggesting that, that, that maybe you don't need to be on beta blockers for the rest of your life. ACE inhibitors, especially if you have left ventricular dysfunction, statins, and now, you know, is colchicine going to, going to be the next addition to that. So that's good. But, um, you know, again, this was, was a study with about 5,000 patients, you know, uh, side effects uh, always tend to, to be underreported in these kind of studies because the numbers are low and a lot of these uh, side effects are relatively rare. So we do want to take a look at, at, at two big side effects with colchicine. You know, again, in the old days, we, we used to blast people with colchicine when they had an acute gouty arthritis attack until they puked all over the place or had di- diarrhea. We don't do that anymore. Of course. Uh, because um, um, we realized we didn't need to do that, and so I, you know, certainly nausea and diarrhea is something you're going to want to warn your patients about if you're dispensing this medication. But I think far more more critical is going to be the the risk of colchicine as, uh, associated myopathy because, unfortunately, colchicine is myotoxic, and as the study uh, the Lodoku two study showed that 94% of these patients were on statins as well. Now, in the study themselves, they didn't see a huge increase in in, in myalgias, but it is something I think I think you want to want to take a look at. There has there has been one other study that was published in 2017 that tried to take a look at this. Um, it was it was uh, done in the American Journal of Medicine where they where they did a large retrospective study to try to see in patients who had concomitant use of statins and, and colchicine with gout and they actually did not find a statistically significant uh, increase in the risk of myopathies or in rhabdomyolysis in patients who are taking the two drugs simultaneously. This study, uh, in my opinion, was okay, but they they actually uh, uh, were it was pointed out in several letters to the editor after that the way they developed their model may have been flawed. And, and so, it's not something that I'm going to completely take to the bank. Certainly, if you look at the literature and just you know go to PubMed and, and put in colchicine and myopathy, you're going to get a ton of hits in patients. And many of those patients were on concomitant statin. So, I, I you know, given the, the state of the evidence that we have, I don't think we need to run around and say, oh, you can't be on this, this combination because of the risk of myopathy. But I do think it's something we need to warn patients about is that there is a chance that their myopathy may, if they haven't had, Myopathy when they're on a statin, they may now get it, and if they do, they need to report it to their to their to their physician. And I think if I was a physician, I if I had someone who was on this combination of colchicine and, and statins, I probably would check a CK, even though we usually don't check CKs in patients uh, who, who, who present with myalgias. Um, I think that's something I probably would do at least at least for a while to make sure you you don't miss an early uh, version of, of rhabdo in these patients. Um, the other piece with that is that colchicine metabolism is is blocked by by a number of other medications, and unfortunately, a lot of them are cardiac medications, drugs like diltiazem, drugs like verapamil, and then uh, also some some antibiotics, particularly the macrolide antibiotics like urethromycin or clarithromycin. So now you've got somebody on a statin, on colchicine, and they get sinusitis, and they get prescribed Biaxin for it. Um, I think that that is a big risk for for myopathy, and and that's that's I would I would try to avoid macrolide antibiotics in these patients if at all possible. Um, you know, if it's possible to, you know, if they're on diltiazim for atrial fibrillation, if, if we could switch them, they're already probably going to be on a beta blocker. Could we go up on the beta blocker? You know, I think there, there are certainly clinical ways to get around some of these potential interactions. But I, th- I think that's something that pharmacists are going to have to be a little more uh, aware of because I think we're going to see the the use of coltacine really, really increase potentially with, with, with the addition of this uh, uh, drug to, to people who have cardiovascular disease. Um, the other piece, of course, is, is neutropenia. Uh, Traditionally, it was thought that the only people who got neutropenia from colchicine were people who uh, took an overdose of it. So, you know, someone who tried to, you know, to hurt themselves and took a whole bottle of it or something like that. Um, or someone in the old days where we used to have intravenous uh, colchicine, which doesn't exist anymore. But when I came out of school, we, we did occasionally give intravenous colchicine to, to acute gouty arthritis patients. Um, and that was actually taken off the market because of the risk of neutropenia with it. And, and um, I will tell you that I have seen colchicine uh, cause neutropenia it, even in patients just taking regular doses of it so it is something that is rare but something that we do need to be aware of and if patients start to 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 you know at, you know a spike a spike fever or something along those lines I think especially when they're first starting to take the drug it's it's reasonable for them to say go see your doctor might, might check a complete blood count and if it, it it's if it's uh, uh, low then that may that may not uh, be a great drug for them so you know like I said I, th- I think at this point I would I would probably not you know block Using colchicine for you guys, you know, for for, for uh, colchicine for, for use of cardiovascular disease, certainly just based on these uh, concerns. But as the drug becomes in more use, that's something we're just going to have to think about. Um, and because I think we probably will see more adverse effects with the drug as, as time goes on. So that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of a wrap up. I think colchicine is an interesting drug. It's it is not incredibly expensive and it's easy to take once a day. I think it has the, the, the potential to really help patients with uh, secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease. But as we also have to be careful of, of the adverse effects associated with it. So uh, We'll wrap up in just a second, but first a, a, uh, a, a, a comment from uh, the CE Impact, um, and they're going to talk a little bit about some of the great programs they have going on. So colchicine, a drug that is 5,000 years old or 3,000 years old, um, we're finding more uses for. Who knows? It might be the miracle cure for COVID for all we know. I don't you know, We'll have to see. But but uh, certainly, we have data now that says that colchicine in randomized controlled trials is of benefit in patients for secondary prevention of coronary disease. I think uh, physicians will start prescribing this drug more. I think pharmacists are going to start seeing this drug more. And that's a good thing. But I also think it's something we have to watch as, as we see it because it is not a benign medication. Um, and I Think, I think appropriate use dictates us monitoring these patients closely. So, so that's it for this week of uh, Game Changers Clinical Conversations. Um, again, I appreciate you listening. Please again, like us wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, spread the word. We really do appreciate it. I'll catch you guys next week. And remember, um, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll see you next week.